Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. And you can visit us on our website, www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So we have a lot to talk about today. We are getting into the Euphoria season two wrap up. Um, and there's just a lot going on. So I'll give a quick synopsis of the show. Um, I'm sure all of you already know what this is about, but just in case you don't, Euphoria is an American adaption of the Israeli show of the same name, Euphoria, follows the troubled life of 17-year-old Rue a drug addict fresh from rehab with no plans to stay clean. As a classmate struggled to make sense of their futures, the series tackles the teenage landscape of substance-enhanced parties and anxiety-ridden day-to-day life with empathy and candor. Um, I think everyone pretty much knows who the cast is, but um, I want to highlight a few people. Um, I think everyone knows Zendaya obviously plays... Rue, Hunter Schaefer, Sydney Sweeney, Angus Cloud, Maude Apatow, Alexa Demi, Jacob Bilordi, Storm Reed, Dominic Fike, Barbie Ferreira, Algie Smith, Austin Abrams, Eric Dane, Chloe Cherry, but also Nakia King, who plays Rue's mom, Leslie Bennett. I feel like we need to know her name. So there's that. Um, let's get into this. Dale, you've been watching from the beginning. Tell us how you feel about this season and the show overall. Um, I don't know. Um, I feel like the way the trajectory of the show, especially this past season, it feels like, I don't know, it feels a lot of flash and no substance. Like, in me watching, there are a lot of plot holes that suddenly just plot points that suddenly just disappeared and no longer have any merit or anything. Um, um, to me, I realized watching, um, Sam, I feel like you ever see those parodies of like poets who are like, oh, I'm an artist, you know, the struggle, the pain of being a poet. I feel like that's very much Sam, how he views himself as a director and a writer and a producer for some odd reason. Um, because especially in certain points, and it's 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 very noticeable in this and in Malcolm and Marie that he has certain points and opinions around social media and stuff like that, how it's, you know, not this whole intrinsic inward looking thing it's all the superficial like he's very sounds very you know full of him full of himself in a way which is not really you know good and it, it's reflected in the show i mean let's be honest the show is like very beautiful like the fact that they honestly decided to go back to film i do love the aesthetic and the way the film looks uh the, the show looks because if if you're Okay, so if you're not really a, a film or TV person, like you could tell the difference when something's shot on film or something is shot on like digital, and like I love those like grainy like details and stuff like that, which you know it kind of gives it like he, what he was going for is like a a snapshot, a Polaroid feel of pictures like you were in high school, and that's literally what the vibe I like. I got it watching. I was like, okay, I see the vibe he's going for. I rather that. Um, I do, I do, I feel some kind of way about him writing. You know. I guess it's high school, everybody. Like, I feel like this version of it was him writing what he what high school was like. I mean, he only he said, he, he said himself before that he, like, 
he just struggled with addiction at that age. Like, so of course, Rue is going to be more modeled off him. So that he's riding from experience with Rue, but for everybody else, it kind of feels like this weird far fetched version of like the best people compare it to Degrassi. And I think the, the best selling point of Degrassi is poor, a more probably accurate depiction of high school where it's chaos, but there's also some lulls where it's just like you're mad because it's the girl with the same shirt as you. It's not constant chaos like is with this. And also, I think the fact that this show focuses on high school, but it's just four people who dominate all the issues at the school, which come to a head in the, in the season finale, the last two episodes, is really like weird, you know? So, yeah. Okay, so I have a whole host of notes. I have a whole bunch of articles that I have sourced. Because the thing with Euphoria is that, like, I think that the show is good, but I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. And the reason being is that it's just very confusing. And also, it's a show that's made for adults, but it's about teenagers. Yeah. So it's just a very confusing, I'm an adult and I'm still confused about like how, what, it's just, it's a lot and it's confusing. So I was never like on the euphoria train because I just felt like the messaging didn't make sense to me. Mm. But so I had to, I had to watch a bunch of videos and just look at other sources just because I needed to know that it wasn't just me. Like I wasn't the only person who was going crazy. And so that's what I found. So I'm going to be I'm going to be listing a lot of things from other sources just to just to give us like a platform to bounce off of. Mm -hmm. So the first one um, I'm going to be quoting is from CNN, and this is their um, review of season two overall. Right. So they say Levinson, Sam Levinson um, has structured the season as a series of stories involving individual characters, gradually bringing those strands together over the course of the seven episodes previewed. Yet there's a repetitive quality to the issues at work. Central among them, Rue's relationship with Jules and the triangle involving Cassie, Maddie, and Nate, each bruised and damaged in their own way. That said, as written, the characters almost dare viewers to care too deeply about them and the show's attempts to be edgy occasionally feel simply icky, including a later encounter in which a gun is brandished as a kind of foreplay. In the final analysis, though, this latest batch of episodes unfolds with the kind of grim, unpleasant efficiency that can make one feel every bit as numb as Rue sounds. So that's their review of it. Yeah. I think that this show is, is this season particularly just seems like, it seems like a, like a, a high budget gossip girl, like, or like a high budget skins like it seems very soap opery and very like dramatic for dramatic sake edgy mm -hmm. for edgy sake there isn't really a point like maybe the first season there was more of a point to it like mainly because you were getting a lot of different characters perspectives and their backgrounds but the second season they kind of did away with a lot of stuff there was a lot of unanswered questions from the first season there were characters who were like ignored completely like Algie's character who was with um Cassie like where did he go he was in one episode and he never showed up again um they didn't do anything with um Kat's character at all they made Cassie like a, the Joker like she was on some psycho like I don't know what happened to any of these people's threads like they just threw everything at the wall and was like 
you're still gonna watch it though. Like that's the attitude <laughs> that I get from Sam. Like Sam doesn't really care how you feel personally. He just cares that people are talking about it. And I'm gonna get into Sam Levinson later. I have a whole little section on him, but for right now, that's all I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, the breakout person, the person you end up caring about the most other than Rue this season would be Maddie, which is Alexis Demi character. You mm-hmm. you got to see her evolution as a person from season one to season two. She came into a complete circle. You see her, you know, going from almost kind of a bully in a way, somewhat, to being a more gentler person, you know, and realizing certain things and using realize to see her goals. Her goals are actually to have a family, all that stuff. She... Mm-hmm. She she gets a good arc, but then you have characters like uh, Jules, you know, ends up falling by the wayside in that triangle between Elliot, Rue, and Jules. Mm-hmm. I mean, after that, after there's nothing, Jules is really there for, like, not really present in the show. Like you said, uh, uh, Barbie Fair, Kat's character, you know, first season she transitioned to dealing issues with confidence issues, to, you know, she becomes a cam girl, you know, OnlyFans girl kind of thing, and she makes money, and she gets her confidence that way, and then and she gets her confidence, she gets a boyfriend, and then halfway through this season, somehow, she's like, oh, my boyfriend's too nice, I don't love him, and then all of a sudden, goes back to have body issues, and then that's left. Like, that, that's it. There's no resolution to what she's dealing with. Um, congr- I, I do like the focus of adding more to the show, because, and I think that's part of the problem. He tried mm-hmm. to give everybody their spotlight, and he couldn't really juggle it or execute it the way that it needed to be. Honestly, I think this epi- this season could have went for two or more episodes to clear up those loose threads. Um, mm. Props to them for giving you know, um, Lexi, Maude Apatow, um, yeah. the time to shine her season because she was largely unheard of. Like I like even after watching this one, I was like, "Yo, who's who's is this? Who's who's this chick?" Like she didn't do anything the first season, so they did. They gave her a chance now. Um, and then you have it's 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 a lot like like you said, algae. Like how do you when you're writing a show and you know you're planning for multiple seasons based on success, you write a character who's, oh, he's he's in the friend group going to college, and his character arc in the first season for the few episodes he's in is about him struggling and adapting to high school, college and still reconnecting, going back to his friends to all of a sudden were non-existent in the second, second season. If he was not going to be a parent showing up in the second season in your plans for the second season, why would you even have him involved in the first season and only have him show up once at the pool at a party? Then you have, like, Mika Kelly showing up in the show where she was like, uh, Sam wanted me on, blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of did Ryder as a reflection of an older, more mature version of Maddie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he was like, oh, there's a scene where she like asks Maddie unzipper, and Sam's like, oh, I wanted to be nude. And Mika Kelly's like, nah. Like, there are a lot of issues I have with Sam. Now, now I'm gonna get into Sam yeah, as a creator because, um, <laughs> It's really weird, you know, for a man to direct, write, and produce a show dealing with outside of, you know, Nate's issues. Mm-hmm. A show that has a lot of young girls. Like like you said, this is a show for teens, even though the actors are adults. They're supposed to, in your head, I'm still thinking they're teenagers because right. they're supposed to be trained teenagers. That's what they're supposed to be, right? Yeah. Like, um, it's weird having a man deal with a lot of these issues that web girls go through. Like, I can, I only can know surface level because I have sisters talking with you, talking with my other female friends, but I don't know the intimate details. So it's kind of weird that you saw it's like, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, mold and handhold 
all these, you know, issues that girls go through during this key time period, and also the heavy amount of nude scenes featuring them in the show, especially particularly this season with um Sydney Sweeney and stuff like that. I find it really, really weird, you know. You know, it's kind of yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into the nudity because that's the yeah. biggest issue that came out of the season. That was one of the bigger issues that came out of the show in general, but this season really just took it home for the team, you know? Yeah. Um, so basically, Minka Kelly is, was, um, is on Euphoria this season, and he had that scene that you described, and she basically said that, like, she asked him to not have it that way. And he was like, yeah, sure. We won't have it in there. And apparently Sydney Sweeney had also told him that there are certain scenes that she didn't feel like needed for her character to be nude. And he took it out. My thing is, is like, why do you as the actor have to go to him to tell him, I don't want to have another, yet another nude scene here? Like, why, why should the actor feel like they need to do that? Like, that's your responsibility as the writer and the, the director and the producer of this. Like, my thing is, is like, I don't really, it's so hard for me to understand this whole thing of like, especially because when Sydney Sweeney talks about this, because she was nude the most in this, mm-hmm. right? She's like, you know, I, I'm really proud of my performance, but everyone keeps talking about the fact that I'm nude. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, an individual wants in terms of like how people view, experience, discuss those kinds of scenes. Because I've heard other actors talk about this. Like I know Amelia Clark talked a lot about this when she was on Game of Thrones, where she would say like, oh, people would just come up to me and talk about like my boobs or my whatever. Like they wouldn't, they're not considering me any outside of the fact that I'm going to take my clothes off for this role or I took my clothes off for this role. And my thing is like, I don't know how we're supposed to discuss these kinds of situations. Cause it's like you on one hand also feel empowered by the fact that you can d- take your clothes off and you feel good about that, but you don't want people to focus on that, but we still live in a patriarch- patriarchal society. So like, the male gaze is a thing and it will always be a thing until we get to yeah. a different place where it's not. And these are the type of conversations that are going to grow from the fact, from those choices. And I don't, and I don't even want to like, I'm not placing blame on anyone. Like, I don't think, I think Sydney had in her mind things that it's okay. Like it's fine to just like do it because maybe Sam or someone else told her, that it was vital for the character. You know, it was like an artistic choice that was so important for the storyline and blah, 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 blah. Here's my opinion. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't think nudity is ever necessary in anything. Um, I feel like the reason why directors and people like that say stuff like that is because they want the actors to feel like it's essential for their character arc for them to be naked. Like in order to communicate vulnerability or isolation or whatever like you have to be naked in order to um communicate those themes and for me i'm like well if you're doing your job right that means that you can find another way to depict these things like aren't you supposed to be creative isn't that supposed to be your area and you're telling me that the only way for you to communicate this one thing is in order for me i have to be nude 
you're not doing your job right. You're being lazy. Like, I'm sorry. That's just how I feel about it. Like, you have to solve problems on a daily basis when you're a director. So you're telling me that in this one instance, when I don't want to take my clothes off, like, you don't know how else to do the scenes. That's what a lot of people do. And the truth is, is like, you just want to see hot people naked. Like, why don't you just say that? I feel like if they were more upfront about that, I would have a little bit more respect for it. But the fact that they try to like do this whole convoluted, like you need the character needs to be like this. It's just so fake to me and I hate it. I don't feel like young people or anyone really needs to be naked on screen. I mean, if people choose to do that, that's fine. I'm just saying like, I don't think that is necessary ever. And yeah. I feel like, um, Sam is taking advantage of a situation in which you have young actors. This is their big break. Big like, breakout role, yeah. This is their breakout role. What are they going to do? Say no? Yeah. Like, this is an HBO show. Come on. So they're take, he's taking advantage of that, that these people are young, that this is their first break, that this is an HBO show. And, they're, and then he's forcing, he's adding more nude scenes and more nude scenes. And you need to be on the phone and being nude. You need to have explicit, explicit sex every single episode. What was comforting to me was when I was online and seeing people being like, oh, thank God I didn't see a penis today. Yeah. Thank God I didn't see anyone's boobs today. Like if that's what your fan base is saying, then you're doing too much. Like you're just doing too much. When the fan base is saying this is too much, you're doing too much. Yeah. Like this being their breakout role outside for, you know, Zendaya, she's kind of beyond the show at this moment, even though she's, you know, the big name person now mm -hmm. um like let's let's uh sydney sweeney she was in pretty little Irish handmaid's tale but those are like small parts like this is her mm -hmm. first breakout role and as a young actor actress you're afraid to like make certain demands uh kate Winslet speaks spoke about this when um she was mm -hmm. like when she was younger she was like i didn't know how to say no to doing nude scenes because you're afraid of your career like like so and they're not aware of the agency they have. And Kate Winslet can say no now because she's been she's been you know Hollywood long enough to where she could say, yeah, I don't want to do that. I, I I she has the notoriety to turn say yes or say no. And my overall issue is if you're gonna have the nudity, um, and you know your cast might, cast might be uncomfortable, why weren't body doubles ever thought of as an idea? You know, if if you have That's these funny. these people who don't want to be seen that way. Why wasn't, you know, body doubles ever a consideration? And also, my overall issue with it is, yes, I understand Zendaya is the big lead actress. She's also a producer. Mm -hmm. Why has... She, he found a way, if you look at a lot of Zendaya's the scenes where Zendaya's character is supposed to go nude, he finds a way not to have her go nude. There's a scene mm -hmm. where they're in a drug house. You know, they're in a, they're in a drug house. They get chastised. Fez, Fezco, all of them get told to strip down naked. Zendaya's character is just there against the wall, refusing to go nude until the guy drags to the bathroom, pours water, and is like, Oh, you have a wire, you have a wire, you have a wire. And you hear them, and then after that scene cuts to everybody else outside, and she comes back in. Like, but you hear their conversation. So you got away with Zendaya's part. Then, you know, later on the season, Zendaya has an overdose. She meets the female drug dealer, you know. The, the camera lingers in the living room where they were talking, where you still hear their dialogue, and then all of a sudden, once Zendaya is in the bathtub, and you see the, the other actress over her, kind of blocking almost just enough so you can see her face, then the camera kind of creeps in a bit through the cracks in the in the 
in the doorway. So you can see Zendaya's character in the bathtub. So you're basically go, okay, she's naked. He found creative ways for Zendaya. I don't see how he couldn't find creative ways for anybody else at all. Makes I think I think he gets off. I think he likes Sydney Sweeney's body, and he also thinks that that is what I don't know the male fantasy of like what a perfect body is supposed to look like. So he pushes it forward constantly. Yeah. Some somebody I like that. said like. Yeah. <sighs> Somebody said in writing her character mm-hmm. on Twitter, they said, uh, uh, Cassie, Cassie's breast bounce, bouncily, like that's describing that's the way, uh, Sam writes her, writes her character, mm-hmm. just pure, purely focused on the sexual side of her. And it makes me so angry, it makes me so angry because you really had these actors convinced that, like, what they're doing is like, yeah, mm hmm. It's my choice and I feel great. And it's like this, this person, it feels extremely exploitative. Even if the person themselves don't feel like it is. Everything that I was reading, everything that I heard through these videos reviewing the series, it's like, I feel uncomfortable with the nudity. And these are people who are not like, they're not prudes. They're not anything like that. Like they're used to seeing nudity on screen and they're saying this is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when that's happening, you know that there's an issue there. So, yeah. um, again, I have another quote from The Guardian. It's kind of long. So they say, how disappointing then that this long-awaited second season has decided to lean into its crueler instincts. Euphoria has always been in danger of allowing style to triumph over substance. Yep. The icy beauty of its cinematography flirting with the idea of it being a little too in love with itself. Euphoria is unrelentingly explicit this time around, as if it took one look at its former self and thought, no, not shocking enough. Try this. There is so much nudity, so much sex, and so much violence. Its characters batter each other senselessly, mentally, and physically, and the camera lingers on each and every mark. It all feels like a trap. Point out that the violence and nudity are too much, and you, are, and you risk coming across as a prude. But the truth is... That euphoria was always more than this, relying on provo- on provocation, provocation, mm-hmm. provocation. Is that the right? Is that how you say that word? In, provoca- in provocation. No, it's not an in. It's provoca- provocation. provocation. Maybe that's how it. Is. For the sake of it, suggest a crisis of confidence. A montage at the start of episode two is borderline unwatchable. A hellish version of sex, bodies, and gore that make me wonder why it felt the need to try so hard. It also, it says a lot that it is a blessed relief when the characters do something as simple as gold bowling. And that's from The Guardian. So someone at The Guardian is thinking exactly what we're thinking. So I just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what his reasoning behind this is. I mean, I kind of have an idea. He's just a creep. Like, to mm-hmm. me, I mean, oh, I was going to, I promised myself that I was not going to come for him like this. Let me draw it back. When Leonardo DiCaprio was like, Euphoria is my favorite show. I said, ew, why? Because you're like a grown man. Like, (laughs) yeah. I said, oh, that's uncomfortable. But there were a lot of older men who were saying, yes, I love Euphoria. It's such a great show. So groundbreaking. So real, right? And that just made me feel icky. And I don't, and I think because, again, you have to question the motives of, like, why they made this show and who it's targeted towards. 
because this is a show about teenagers, but a, it's a made for adults, which means that the content obviously is going to be a little bit more grown up. Mm-hmm. But teenagers are watching this show. You can't say this show was for you, but you cannot see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, that doesn't make sense. So teenagers are watching this. And I will get on to, like, the realism of Euphoria. I guess we could do that later. But, like, what are you trying to say? My question always is with Sam Levinson is, what are you trying to say? Because I don't understand. Some of the sex scenes and the nudity had nothing to do with the storyline. It was just there. Yeah. So I'm just like, what are you doing, my guy? I, I, to me, the show comes to a head on um, episode seven, which is mm-hmm. aptly titled The Theater and It's Doubled. Kind of, and the whole concept of that episode is based on a book by Antoine Ardod, which is basically about showing theater, showing the realism, showing an accurate reflection of people's lives on stage in a way that you don't, you, the way you view yourself is not really how you see yourself, you know? Um, and I think that's the whole thing with Euphoria, but it goes, like, to this real hyper-extreme version. Um, my favorite quote of creators or people who, like, reboot remaster shows was from the creative partner, uh, animated Voltron show that was on Netflix a couple years ago. They said they set out to create the show we we thought we watched. And I feel like with this, with Euphoria, Sam is attempting to create the experience of high school he thinks he had. Which is honestly that's that's I don't think watching Euphoria everybody anybody could say, yeah, that was my high school experience. I don't think anybody honestly can say that you know it's it's like basically euphoria for me seems like project x for eight straight episodes mm. you know mm. so uh but I, uh, the one the one thing the one thing i will i will say and mm. i guess and it's and he's kind of um two the two people i think that sam most relates to on the show, particularly this season, would be Rue and also Lexi. Mm-hmm. Being doing that whole, you know, Tick Tick Boom touched on it, that thing where writers do where they bring their real life into it. That was kind of Lexi, you know, with the play bring her real life into it. Rue being his real life. I do applaud his depiction of depression with Rue and kind mm-hmm. of how everybody finally founds a different way to um cope with different things like there are i'm not gonna deny there are some amazing good points with sam and this and what he does as far as the show like hurt issues of depression and you know addiction those are like spot on like there are times things rooted in the show and it's like yeah that's i i saw myself in rue in her actress even though you know i don't you know, i don't have a drug drug problem or whatever but dealing with depression i was like yeah i can relate to why she she did that or she acts the way she does so that i feel like is perfect spot on really relatable and he's like i think sam could be an amazing creative if he has somebody toning him down because visually like the cinematography the visual everything perfect spot on but once it he gets involved in like the writing where he has to keep the plot and tempo moving he that's not what he's on and it makes sense because there are reports of him on set coming around a shot list so I feel like mm-hmm. as he's reading, as he's reading the script, they shoot the first thing. He's like, "You know what? 
that shit would look fire right here. We gonna do it. And cast members for the cast have come out and said, yeah, sometimes sets would be we'd be there for all day to into the night. So and that goes on to a thing with our plan. I think I think he's so in in focus on the creative side that the other parts are really lacking. Like it feels like he's stroking his ego to it. Like oh, like he's almost like Kanye in a way. Like I'm an artiste, you know. But not with the, not with the talent. Like not even like, okay. on the same level. Like, I'm not gonna say not yes, with the I understand, talent I because no, I mean like I don't know. I would like, I, I would have clearly clearly but. is he has a, an amazing <laughs> eye for for that kind of thing. Like shot conversation, how the the lighting, all that cinematography, all that a one perfect. But it's just when it's dealing with story and plot. And everything like too many things with this particular season got dropped by the wayside, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning. So, here's how I feel about Sam Levinson. Yeah, I think that Sam is like he's like that one film student who like is obsessed with like Tarantino and you know Paul Thomas Anderson and like Wes Anderson, and who's like, oh my god, I love those guys. I'm a cinephile and who like tries to make themselves in the mold of that, but mm-hmm. isn't that, but is trying yeah. to do like, um, like a bootleg version of it. Like when Malcolm and Marie came out, the, did you notice in the um, trailer, it says from the visionary director of Euphoria. Yeah. And I said, what? <laughs> like, hold on a second. That don't make, I mean, let me say something. First of all, I agree that the cinematography and everything, like the cinematography is great, the lighting is great, the music is great. Um, but those are, I mean, he's not like, he makes the scenes, but like, he's not like the one who shoots it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's somebody else. And also I feel like there are, there are scenes that are look really nice and look so cool, but haven't, but aren't really like, one well paced and then two necessary for like what you're seeing like certain things will just be like in slow motion and you're like why <laughs> like oh, oh we're still doing the slow motion thing okay i guess like i guess you got to fill out the runtime of like an hour or however long the episodes are i just feel like sam has a couple of problems and a lot of them were highlighted in Malcolm marie i'm glad i watched that movie because now i understand how this man thinks this man thinks that one cinema doesn't need to have messages so basically you can do whatever you want and some of it can be necessary some of no none of it has to be necessary it's just whatever you want to do you can do whatever you want and there is no accountability there's no responsibility for the audience that you're giving it to you're just going to do whatever you want because you can and that's how sam thinks he's very much of like well i'm an auteur so i can do whatever i want and you're still going to watch it right it's still popular The music is so good. You love the fashion. But like, what are we saying here? Nothing much. That's my thing. Like the thing with Rue, I think a lot of people have issues with the drug. I know Dare, whoever said something about like the drug, the drug stuff is too much. It's glorifying drug use or whatever. I think the drug use was probably the most accurate portion of the show. Yeah, like was. <laughs> that was the most on point, like part of it. The issue comes with like, for me, is like, what is Rue, like, does Rue have a personality outside of being a drug addict? Like, mm. does she like to play video games? Does she like to read? Like, I don't, I don't know anything about her. And yet I, I mean, spend the most time with her. 
and I'm not is, sure like what she's doing. It, I mean, I kind of get it because in the midst of those moments, all your hobbies and your you as an individual kind of just fall completely to the wayside in a way. But you know they do flashbacks. Yeah. So like I'm wondering like why couldn't we have a flashback of knowing what Rue was like before she started doing drugs? Like I don't know. I just feel like her personality is drugs. Like that's mm-hmm. who she is. And then you have the relationship with her and Jules where it's like they're obsessed with each other and they're in love with each other. And I don't know why exactly. I guess because they have the role of like Jules is used to like having an addict in the house so she knows how to like deal with that. And Rue just needs somebody to be there for her like 100%. And that, not question her, whatever she's doing, the mess that she's doing. Rue is just destructive. Like that one episode where she just destroyed the entire town. I was like, okay. Um, yeah, but it's just like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that she doesn't have anything else going on except for the fact that she's doing drugs and like even when she gets sober it's like i have to make amends and try to fix all the things that i did while i was high and it was just i don't know i just didn't get anything from it this time i feel like the first season was really good it was tight and i understand that again like i said the drug addiction of like things happen cycles repeat stuff like that but I was just like, after like the fifth time she yelled at her mom and yelled at Gia, I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm over the dramatics. Like, I know that you're on a, like a thing, but I'm just so, I was just so tired of hearing her yelling at everyone and saying, oh my God, I'm a bad person. And it's like, yes, we know. We've been watching you for two seasons. Like, we know that you're a bad person. That doesn't mean anything now. Like, every time everyone was like, I'm a bad person, when Nate was like, I'm a bad person, Cassie, I'm a bad person, but I'm not the bad person. I'm just like, what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, I don't, like, I know that you're a bad person. What are you going to do about it? Because if you're not going to do anything about it, then shut up. Like, I'm just so, I can't deal with that. Maybe that's just a me thing. I was like, if one person <laughs> says they're a bad person, like, I will actually lose my mind. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, this it's, I think the issue with Sam is that I don't think, and I'm looking at his wiki as I say this, I don't think he actually has a, his, okay, everybody, his father is a, is a director, mm-hmm. was a director, um, so I feel like his career, like, the reason why he can wax poetic about and go on these soliloquies about, you know, social media and writing and, you know, the core character of a person and, you know, all these great visual moments in his show, in his, in his shows, is A, because he's just been saturated in it, so he's absorbed it's like, it's absorbing information without knowing how to apply it effectively. Yes, yes. Without, without that groundwork. And if, and if I'm looking at his his career, it's been like four acting roles as bit parts in most of his dad movies. His only his breakout thing was writing on Operation Game as writer. Twenty that was twenty ten. Then he directed and wrote for Another Happy, and then he did Assassination Nation, and then you go to Euphoria, Malcolm Marie, and then he's in next this later this year he has Deep Water coming out. So it's like it's almost like he's learning. Mm-hmm. On the job, he's getting mm-hmm. high-profile jobs because of who he is, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like the probably the worst thing about 
nepotism in a way because mm. he can get access to become a director really easy, but he doesn't know know why things are the way they are. Like he can say, "Oh, dad, why is this that?" and his dad could say, "Oh, because of this." But based on saying it's because of this, he himself can't say, "Okay, how do I apply that in a way that works for me?" You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's think, true. I think I think that's the crux of his his issue as a director slash writer right now. Yeah. So the New York Times says this about Sam. Um, a subtext to many of the complaints about Levinson is one that is familiar from a wider discussion in many cultural spheres over who gets to tell which stories and about creators' appropriations of characters, scenarios, and experiences that they are closely identified with, marginalized groups to which they do not belong. Some say, some fans have wondered why characters who are diverse in many dimensions answer to a 37-year-old white man who grew up in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. It's the whole premise of this straight cis man who is writing a narrative about himself, about his past struggles with addiction, but then doing it through these different diverse characters. Put it all together and you get in Levinston, an artist who fans love to hate, who makes something they love to love. Yeah. So it is very confusing because, yeah, this show is extremely popular. When I saw you every single Sunday, all I saw was Euphoria post. Yeah. For six it, weeks. Look, it's not even that. Yes. It's, it's to the point where even after the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is usually the biggest mm-hmm. TV draw. Everybody was like, yo, about to watch Euphoria after. Like, and Euphoria still pulled big numbers. Usually yes. Super Bowl weekend. The Super Bowl that Sunday, every show just drops by the white side. Euphoria still pulls strong numbers. So, and yeah. like the person said, the, the issue is with oh, a thirty-something-year-old white man writing experiences and print and printing them on characters' card. Like, let's be real: if Rue, a black person with that kind of drug problem, not even that, not even as a black person, a black woman mm. with those kind of issues, oh. Her character would not have get away with a lot of shenanigans she can get into. You think in in like the episode what six? You think Rue if if this was real, Rue is a a black person running through L.A. Would have been caught. Like she would have been caught. She would have. She would have. Doesn't make she she hides from the cops in a garbage can. What had this been a black person? Oh no, they would have done got her. Like helicopter would have been in the air already. Like those those kind of those kind of things, like really Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing with me and the conversation about the realism of it. It just feels like to me it's more surrealist than anything. It's not really yeah. realism. Because again, I just feel like no one's high school experience was like this. And I and I can say that because I didn't graduate that long ago. We did not graduate that long ago. We know what high school looks like. Like, like. like, I'm honestly gonna say, Harvey's Sam is what? Sam is what? Thirty-seven. I'm thirty-two. It's five years. He's five years older than me. So our, our high school experience is not gonna be that. That, no. that version. Okay, maybe I didn't do drugs in high school, you know. But like the amount of pure drama that happens just between a clique of four people. That takes over and overshadows the whole school. Like what? No, it's insane. It's actually insane. It's actually funny too because I like there's TikTok TikToks and stuff of like people being like, "Oh, I gotta go to Euphoria High," and they'd be like changing into like fishnets and high heels and stuff like that because that's how we go to school now. Like we don't wear regular clothes. It's just like 
there there's something in trying to again that's what i was saying about when i first the first season i was just like how how does this how are we saying i think the some of the themes are realistic, but the execution isn't. And so that confuses me as a viewer. Because I'm yeah. like, I'm supposed to be looking at these kids like they're 16. Why is Nate rolling around with a gun, like, going to people's houses like I mean, the Night Stalker? Okay. Like, that, whoa. That makes, that, that makes sense, him finding like, his dad's gun. That, I can, I can work with that. But also... He was rolling up I'm to not... map people's homes with guns. And it's like, who do you think you are? Like, like, you're not in a Bond film. Like, this is like, so weird. A seventeen-year-old, sixteen-year-old posting up like tall as hell, like he was a grown-ass man. Right. Why are you knocking at my door like eleven o'clock in the morning? You know, asking to see my daughter. You know, why is she crying now? What's up with that? We can't. You catch your hands. Come back here, playboy. Like, like, you know, yeah. And I'm saying, and the, and the things with his dad, where it's like he challenges his dad. Like, yeah, as a kid, you know, as like as a guy, you challenge your dad. You like, you know, I don't like your dad. Blah 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 blah. You know. And you have that like combative relationship with your father to a degree where like we throw we're gonna fight like me and you are gonna fight. I can I can say like a woman being like me and my dad have fought before yeah, like it's sense. a thing but yeah. like like for the way he depicts the their relationship is kind of weird like I don't know how to describe it it's not and yes we understand it's because the father you know he wanted to give his live his happy free gay life and he couldn't out mm-hmm. of fear. That's fine, but like, it's yeah, um, yeah. It's so yeah. It's just a little. It's just not. It's like something that almost to me, Euphoria is like a dream. Like it looks like something that I've seen before, but then there's so many other elements that you're like, wait, this this is this doesn't feel familiar to me. Like that's what Euphoria is to me, and I feel like they do that on purpose. Like they have dream like sequences and all that other stuff. Like they make it seem like something that is almost familiar, but not quite that. And um, I think, yeah, it's just to me, Euphoria can be a really good show if you did like one or two things. One, if it was just like let's just stop trying to pretend like these people are like. Everyone's screwed up and everyone's a mess, right? That's what we've been saying from the beginning. So let's, the redemption arcs, I'm kind of over it. Like, can we just get into the mess? Like, I feel like this was at, the show was at its best when it was just messy. Like, I, I love the mess. I don't even, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even think it's mess. I think it's mess for a reason. Because the only person who comes out of the show without having mess, honestly, and at end of the season is Maddie. She's the person who gets caught mean? Maddie is still dealing with her and Cassie and Nate. She was fighting yeah, her in the last I mean, episode. Like, thing, but she has a complete. She's like Nate's toxic. I fuck with Nate no more. You know, she speaks like Mika, Mika Kelly's character, saying, "You make mistakes, you'll grow out of it." You know, don't don't think high school is your end all be all. Like she has a complete arc. Everybody else, either you know, uh, Cassie, she her character goes up. You know, because she didn't have any screen time, so she goes up, but in a weird, almost toxic way. Um, then you have you have. Cat, you Barbie Ferreira's character who kind of goes, okay, she gets an arc in the first season, she gains confidence, and then the confidence is gone out of nowhere this season. And then what's up? The homegirl they call Barbie, or, or an act- I don't even know the name of her actress. That's how she's the girl who just said, oh, beat her ass, Maddie. And that was oh, it. Yeah, that girl. Like, she's like non existent <laughs> in the show, but she's mm-hmm. in their friend group. So we never see her. I'm not saying messy in terms of like, you don't have a complete story arc. I mean messy yeah. in like the drama. For a reason. 
the drama is is like Real Housewives of yeah. New York. Like the drama. That's what I mean about the drama. Like I love I love that mess. Like if yeah. that's what we want to do, I'm so down for it. But then trying to like level it or balance it with serious issues, that's kind of where I'm lost. Because I'm like, we're we're operating on a very high level of like energy and chaos, right? Everybody's chaotic. And I was reading it from one of these articles saying like, how can you equate the intensity and the severity of like Rue doing heroin to Nate, to Nate and Maddie arguing about like the fact that Cassie, her best friend is like having sex with Nate. Like, they're both on the same levels in terms of how they're executed in the show. Like, it feels, it feels like so extreme, but these are not the same yeah. type of situations. But that's how it's being presented to you. So that's my thing. Like, if you're, unless you're an adult who can really be like, yeah, this is just a mess. And like, it's good entertainment. Like, it's good entertainment. The performances are great. Well, Everybody looks good. But in, if you're, if you're if you're a kid, like if you're like 16, 15, 17, you're not really fully there yet, yet developed. You're not, I don't know if you're going to be able to make the distinction. I think that's the dangerous thing. I think what it is, like, like I said, writing the experience you think you had when you're young mm-hmm. and you're going through a relationship, those arguments are like kind of overportioned, you know, big blown issues. But you can't, like you said, but you can't thematically, visually, story-wise, present those same issues that a 17-year-old have about their first love on the same scale, visually, to an adult audience as somebody doing heroin. Right, right, right. So that's right, the that's issue. Yeah, 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 that's that's so that you're you're correct in that. That's but. the that's the that's why I'm a little. That's all why I've always been a little fuzzy on this show because I'm like. I get it. I get what you're trying to do, but I'm also old, older than like. Yeah. And I think here's the thing. I know Zendaya put out that message at the beginning before the show came out of like, "Hey, listen, like this is a show for adults. Like, if you guys can't watch it, if you can't handle it, like, don't watch it. Like, that's okay." And then like Hunter went on Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy was like, "If I was a kid and I saw that, I'd be like, I'm still watching it." And Hunter Schaefer was like, "Yeah, exactly." So yeah. I think that. And that, and that's my thing. I think Zendaya is because she's a producer on the show. See, that's the difference. She's not just an actress; she's a producer, which means she knows what's going on. Yeah. I don't know how much culpability she has and what's and how things are being like transmitted, like how things are flowing. And I don't want to blame her for anything. I think maybe it's just like naivete. Like I think maybe she thinks that like everything, like Here's, if you I can't handle it, you won't watch it. But like. People are. This is the most popular show that is on air right now. Like, here's here's. I don't thing. know what to say about that. I don't. I don't know how much involvement she has in this show as far as on the producer side because you know, mm-hmm. when you an actor and you get certain to certain prominence, you do get slats with that whole. Oh, I, I'm now executive producer of, of this this project. Like, I know Drake isn't involved in the show and he's an executive producer. You know. Yeah, but the thing and, is, is that her and Sam are very close. Like, they wrote that Malcolm and Marie script together, essentially. Yeah. So, I don't know. They're, they're too close for me to be like, oh, it's just a title that they gave her. Yeah. Because she's the main actress. You know, I think that she has to know more. 
But I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's done with any mal- like malicious intent. I just think that she just, maybe there's like a disconnect. Like she doesn't really understand like how other people can perceive what the show is, mm-hmm. which is not just like criticism, like, oh, there's, it's too much this or that, but like, that there's like legitimate issues. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but, I, I, they're like, I know. <sighs> I'm I'm going through the cast list now as I was talking, and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a there's a big gap in the experiences of people of color, yeah, in this show, especially when you're dealing with somebody dealing with like addiction. Mm-hmm. I do think you know, um, Rue's mother and Rue's sister should have been playing a bigger part in the show at all, especially mm-hmm. when there are scenes where um, Colin Domingo's character when Rue's trying to get clean, talks to her mother saying, you need to focus on the little one because she feels like, like, there is Gia! more in like, yeah, it's like, she's like, Gia's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, That's why I'm really amazing actress. Only prominence she gets to flex her acting is when she has to scream and cry, and right. that ends up being on. That ends up going on Twitter as a joke where she's making her her crying, yelling face. You know, I don't know. I don't like that. Yeah, and I also don't like like what we're considering peak acting is like people just crying and screaming like over a Yeah, and Cassie cried play. and screamed every single episode. I was like, girl, if you don't shut up, like. <laughs> And and that's another thing I saw online as people talking about a show like, oh, she gave so much, and this person talk, and it's just a scene of somebody screaming and crying, and I'm like, scream, yeah. acting is more than just like being right. able to emote and emote is good, but acting is so much more than your face screaming. Acting is the little hand moves of your hand, yes. little subtle changes more than just you know yelling and screaming. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so I think that. What the I think the best euphoria probably was, or what can be gains, like if we can take something from what we have already and make it better, it was those special episodes which were just focused on real and jewels, mm-hmm. mainly because they were in therapy, like they were talking to someone and getting perspective and getting help and trying to heal these very traumatic issues, which would be just as hard to deal with, even if you were an adult. I feel like. That's where we need to head because there was a tag, like the tagline for this show, like when you go on HBO and look at the episodes, it's like, yeah, some spirals never end. And I'm like, I need the spiral to end because I think one of the one of the complaints, which I was seeing a lot online was that it was just tired. Like we were just people were just exhausted by seeing the same kinds of things play over and over again, not just in Rue's situation, but in everyone's situation for mo- for or a lot of the cast. And I just feel like we need to go to healing now. That's where, that's the next step. Yeah. Like you can't just have these characters in agony because one, who wants to watch that? Like these, this is not like a fun watch. Like this is very intense stuff. And I just feel like you can't stop exploiting the trauma. Like we need to get these people better because that's real life. Like 
you know, some people stay in their stuff. But in 2022, like, we know what therapy is about. Like, you can go get a therapist. It's, it's, it's not just that. You know, with these kind of mediums of, as you know, entertainment mediums, mm-hmm. you're right. Some in real life spirals do last over, like, even me personally, talking about depression. Like, even recently up to this week, I was like, I don't really feel like doing any, anything. Like, I know I'm in a spiral. I know I'm depressed. I know I have to fight it out. But in, like... In this, like TV and film and stuff, those spirals can't just go and continue. There has to be some kind of resolution, yes, kind of resolution out of, the, right. out of the tunnel. Like seeing the characters doing the same thing over and over and over again, you get tired of it. Because if it was real life and your friend kept doing the same thing over and over, and like, yo, what are you doing? Get your shit together, right? You you stop <laughs> associating with them. But with Sam, it's just same shit over. And over and yeah. over, you know. So I also think it would be good if they did like a time jump a little bit and made them just a little bit older, because yeah. I feel like it would make a lot more sense what they're trying to do. Um, it just makes more sense if they were older, because right now it's like y'all are still in high school and doing all this. I don't, I don't know. It's just something about that just smacks of like no, not yeah. authentic. So I'm just like, maybe if you age them up, it would make a little bit more sense. And I think. They might do it because at the end, when Rue is talking and says, you know, I stay clean for the rest of the school year, it sounds like she's speaking in the in the future, like a pretty distant from Third the person. time that we're seeing. Right. So maybe we can age them up a little bit to catch up to that part where we're not just kidding. But, and like, that's the thing. With all the plot points that left hanging with this season, mm-hmm. like the end of the se- the end of this episode eight, ends like it's almost a series finale. Mm. And that's the thing, like, you're, everybody's like, and that's why I say I feel like it should have went on for two or more episodes. Mm-hmm. Because you still have you still have the issues, you know, with a Nate and Maddie, Nate, Maddie, and um, Cassie to adapt to, I don't, you know, Lexi and, um, Lexi and Fesco, their thing, Lexi and Fesco, their thing. Especially considering, I don't know how Lexi is supposed to be this empath, you know, Mm. Like concerned about people, how did she not know her play was gonna like piss people off? Yeah, like it's kind of. Don't know how the fuck you don't know that. You know, Fez like Fezco's dealing with Ashtray dying and all that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, Nate, not Nate with his father, those kind of things, and the big thing, Rue owing oh, the drug lord like ten k. Right. Like that is hello. Fuck it. I stay clean for the rest of the year. No, what does that like, mean? Yeah, exactly. what does that mean? There's something missing like that's like the episode eight ends like it's a series now like oh well we're done like mm-hmm. and you can it you can't end an episode like that knowing that there's so many other fucking plot points like you have cassie and her back again for some reason um body issues like how do you end a show like on a happy note oh i stay clean for the rest of the year and see you next, see you next, see you next year. year. You know, <laughs> have a great summer, no ever change. <laughs> yeah, like um, you know, that's true. Um, um, so as we wrap this up, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like this show is in any way like therapeutic or um, helpful to you? I'm really wondering. Um, yes, to a degree. Because, mm-hmm. um, like I said, a lot of Drew's experiences I could see in myself personally dealing with depression. Um, and I could see the effects 
of it, even though I'm aware of it, I can see the effects of it taken going too far, like with horrible coping mechanisms. Like my coping mechanisms, like I gotta smoke weed, but my coping mechanisms, I'm not gonna do. I'm gonna do fat and all shit. Like hell no. Like you know, mm. like this podcast also is you know one of my coping methods. So it's like her thing is like you know is a cautionary tale of how certain coping mechanisms her father's drugs or painkillers can evolve into sort of thing. So at that point it's not more of a coping, it's more of a reflection, an experience mm. reflection that, that I see. And so that's and that's the thing that keeps me drawn to the show is Rue and that experience that I can relate to in some key points. So yeah. yeah. I related to Cassie on the daddy issues thing in the first season, but then she became the Joker. So it kind of just that really... plot point just kind of goes away in the second season, yeah. And that just felt like such a missed opportunity because that's something that a lot of young women yeah. deal with, and you could have really built on that. And really honestly, that. had he built on that, and that's the thing about having a man write these experiences yeah. with teenage women, like, yeah, I know for a lot of girls, the issues of not having a father plays into other issues, and that could be a solution for why Cassie is a so what's the word is a yes person doesn't want to rock mm-hmm. the boat and how she suddenly finds herself gravitating toward Nate. Like when, if he dug deeper beyond the surface level BS that he does, he could have found really interesting plot points and plot threads to draw and extract from and have a much better story. So I don't know. I don't work in Hollywood yet. So I don't know. We're just talking. This yeah. felt this feels good. It felt good to get this off my chest because I was holding it in yeah. for a long time. <laughs> so, um, what would you rate this show? <sighs> wonderful gowns, wonderful gowns, beautiful gowns. Um, you know, it's visually beautiful. Um, I wish the drama there had more of a plot focused presence in a way mm-hmm. um there's there's a lot of there's really too much i just guess left on the wayside i wish this was more of a whole complete cohesive package you know so i'm gonna give this a six out of ten because the key element of a story any kind of medium is that plot point continuing and progressing in a logical manner you know, I'm not saying it's as bad as watching M. Night Shyamalan old. You know, that movie oh, made no you know. But <laughs> I do feel like the elements for a perfect show are there, but yeah. he just needs somehow to connect them cohesively. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. him connecting it cohesively, I do think HBO should probably do a better job of reining him in a bit more mm-hmm. to get those key points and those, you know, those things together because he, ha- he has nobody to answer to because he's director writer and producer so who gonna stop me nobody you know <laughs> so That's yeah yeah um, i'm gonna give it the same score i think that's a perfect score and i think what you said is exactly on the money um all of the materials for a really amazing groundbreaking like really great show is there um and we're not we're not doing we're not doing what we need to do with the materials. Yeah. We're no. letting them go to waste. And yeah. this show is really supposed to be like 
should be my favorite thing that I've ever watched. Like this feels very much like targeted towards me. And yeah. I was just like, nah. So yeah, I'm gonna give it that same score. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I'm very glad it's over. I ha- Can I say that? I'm just so sick and tired I mean, of seeing all it just all over my social media every single day it's just you gotta wait till you know wait another year for season three though so let's um, move so, on okay moving on we also you know it being the last you know day of black history month we have been highlighting you know black um artists black talent and we decided to take a look at a movie called i i'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong so you might need to save me because you know how I, black I orpheus it. black orpheus okay um, it's basically, the plot is basically taking, you know, the Greek legend, Greek tragedy of Orpheus and Eurys and setting it in the beautiful, beautiful, um, Brazil during, um, Carnival. Um, so, Cindy, what did you think of this movie? Well, um, I, it's very interesting. I found this movie because Marpressa Dawn, who plays Eurydice, I would always see pictures of her on um, Pinterest and stuff, and I thought she was so beautiful. And so I found out that she was like an American French actress, and this was like her big claim to fame. Um, Mm -hmm. Apparently, the whole cast is Portuguese, but she was the only one who wasn't, and she spoke Portuguese. It's dubbed in English. That's the version I watched, but... Okay. um, Yeah, it was really... I thought it looked really cool. Like, I don't know, it was made in, like, 1958, so there are going to be a lot of problematic things in there. Like, there was a lot of problematic things in there. But from what I understand, it was, like, one of the first movies to have, like, black and brown people on screen being joyous. Like, I don't think that that had ever happened before. And also, um, it brought, I think it brought, uh, what's the bossa nova that genre of music it bought it to the world the world didn't know about it until this movie came out which is cool so i like that it was progressive in its own way although there are some issues with it um the story was just like i don't know when i watch old movies i don't really judge it that harshly because i'm like i don't know what the requirements of like what a great movie was supposed to be back in those days so i don't know it won the um Stuff I can. It won the Oscar for Best International Film. So, like, I guess so. It was good, <laughs> right? I thought everyone did a good job. The acting was really good. I like, you know, the vibe. Everyone was like dancing and having a great time. But there were like scenes where people were just dancing and there were like no dialogue, and that went on for like five minutes. And I was like, oh. I mean, it's it's carnival okay. time, man. It's carnival season. Some, you, know? you know what happened? You know what it is? I think it's the editing. I think some things went on just a little too long and you were like, okay, is, is it going to stop here? Is it going to stop here? No, it's still going. Okay, fine. Um, but I thought everyone was really talented who were, who was a part of this. Yeah. How did you feel about this movie? I don't know because I'm not familiar. I had to actually look and read the Greek tragedy after um, cause I thought it was, I guess it's kind of, it's in the vein of those Romeo and Juliet, you know, Tristan mm. all those kind of stories. Um, like, and the issue is this movie is not just based on the Greek story. It's also great 
based on the actual play. Mm. And so when, like, the first part of the movie, when they, you know, they some they meet on the trolley station, and then, you know, a couple minutes later, now they're in their relationship, he goes there, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, um, Idris, I love you so much. I was like, where did this come from? You, like, literally just met her, like, ten minutes ago. How do you become enamored with this long, loving relationship out of out of nowhere? Like, I can understand if it was, like, Romeo and Juliet kind of love and first sight kind of thing, but when she first meet him, she's kind of, like, put off by him and his attitude to a degree. And it's not just that, it's, um, he has, obviously he has the, um, the rumor of being kind of a ladies' man around, around town, because two women, women run after him when he appears in the town square, and then when he's at his house, and they know he's engaged to a fiancé, he's in his room playing his heart, two women bust in the man's house, like, yo, Whereas Orpheus and these two boys, like, nah, my man's left. And they're like, damn. Like, you know he's engaged. Why are you still hunting for this man? So, and those two things kind of, like, really threw me off with the story. I mean, but then at the end you have him, you know, she she dies, and then he's mourning, and he goes to, like, the Gate of Cerberus, after Greek dogs of Greek mythology. And somehow she he sings and she appears at the gates and he's like, "Don't stop singing." When he looks away and the spirit leaves her, and then his you know fiance hits him in the head with a rock and he falls over the cliff and they both well he dies as well. Uh, yeah, that was. I mean, funny. I think I think for at the time this is nineteen nineteen sixty nineteen fifties. It works, but looking at these films in a modern lens, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I loved it, you know, Brazil, I like, you know, being West Indian, you know, the vibes of Carnival, you know, that season, I loved, I loved that, you know, mm-hmm. I love seeing the images of Brazilian, not particularly shown, like, different shades of blacks, browns, yeah. even your, your, your mid-tones, your light skin, usually when people talk about Brazil, it's usually just all the light-skinned Giselle Bunsen-looking women, mm-hmm. which Brazil is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. So I did. I did love it with regard, and it's. I can't. It is hard to judge this movie. Also, the movie is you know directed by a French man, so mm-hmm. there are a lot of cultural things that don't really vibe. So I can't really. I can't judge this from a modern lay lens looking at it. I understand it when the Palm d'Or cans that it premiered, mm-hmm. and so I guess they for that time period they understood the movie a lot more than than when I. What I can because a lot of the a lot of the movie feels like really choppy and there's a lot of subtext that's not that's missing from the movie to help the story along. So, right, right, that's it. Yeah. I yeah. think they're like assuming that you already know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you yeah. can't make those assumptions. Like you just can't. Yeah. So, but what? But the vibe was good. Like I liked seeing so many brown and black people having a good time like i really digged that i thought that was great yeah um but yeah there was a lot of things that weren't i know that when it debuted people in brazil were not happy with it because they felt like how the scenery and like how it was depicted wasn't accurate like they're i mean the people who were in that town were living in like straw houses like they they were living in kind of poverty yeah, but they had a lot of joy. So like maybe I think that was supposed to like distract you from the fact that they were like they didn't have shoes or something. Like, it was just it was weird. Like it was weird. It wasn't it wasn't an actual, you know, appearance of people living in favelas basically. Yeah, 
And I don't like how his fiance Mira was depicted like this crazy, jealous lady. I didn't like that at all. Um, that didn't make me feel good. But I also, I don't know. It was just weird. But I'm like, well, like it was the 50s. So I can't. And so, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's so hard gonna, to like judge it. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, Mira's portrayal, I'm like, because apparently they're in their fiance, but then all of a sudden, your only depictions of Mira are this aggressive woman telling her, oh, you got to buy me a ring now. And then she goes, okay, I'll let you borrow the money. And I was like, if you want to borrow my ring, why don't you just buy the ring yourself? Like, is a bunch of these, you know, weird inconsistencies. And then mm-hmm. she hears the Greek tale of the, when they go get the marriage. Like, oh, so, um euphoria stuff Udri is like who told you that you look you mess with other women that means you know you are aware my man's is a womanizer and you're still gonna marry him and then she assumes the man's like oh it's a story from a long time ago she assumes that a greek tragedy and once again the movie assumes you know what you're talking about the movie also assumes she knows it's a greek tragedy mm-hmm. and so she thinks it's a real thing and now she spends the whole rest of the movie mad and when she runs into uh serfina she was like oh that's utris how does she know my 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 fiance, like stuff like that, like her portrayal is like probably the worst. Cause it just paints her to being this negative, vindictive woman. When honestly, if a if you knew that your boyfriend was a philanthropist, you know, you'd kind of a you really wouldn't go through the relationship at all, you know. So it kind of, yeah. That's once again judging this from a modern lens. It's hard, yeah. It's it's hard. So it's hard. I didn't like how they were shot either, where you were just looking at their like dancing booty or like stuff like that. I was like, eh, I'm not like a huge fan of how they're shooting this. Yeah, there were some things that, and there was like a part where there was like, uh, not exactly a magical Negro, but just in the terms of the person who does that, who's like presides over the ceremony, has that like. I don't know. Is it is Rudo a thing over there? It's what? It felt Rudo. Voodoo. Yeah. In Brazil, yeah. Okay, that's. I think that's what the ritual that they're performing, where he sees her, where he sees Eurydice again after she's mm-hmm. died. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't love that either because I was like, um, okay. I don't know. There were just some things that, were, that made me be like, made my eyebrows raise up for a second. But again. This was a very important film, I think, for the time, at least. Mm-hmm. So, it was <laughs> fine. It was fine. I don't know what to rate this. I don't even know if it needs a rating, but... I mean, it was, it's a, you know, depiction of a side of Brazil. You don't get still to the modern day. So, I'm, you know, happy for that reason. But, yeah, I can't... You, I can't you know, 1950s, you know, 1960s. I can't you know, judge the inconsistencies in a modern in a modern lens. So yeah, insane. Yeah. Okay. Um. So moving on to the box office um stuff. Um. So of course, just the season of Tom Holland. Um. It's still you know has it's been having still a quiet weekend you know. Um, no other studio has released movies until, you know, Batman, which comes out next week. So get ready for that when we, well, it comes out this week, actually. So get ready for that when we talk about that next week. Um, so, like, nothing has really changed much in the box office, um, except for the Foo Fighters comedy, which debuted um, and to just, uh, I think, 1.5 million. And also Serenelle, which debuted. 
um, with about $1.4 million. Um, so it's not really, nothing is really shaken up as far as, you know, major box office news. Just a basic quiet weekend for Uncharted. Um, but for the whole weekly numbers, um, a movie called Blacklight, you know, the movie about, you know, a government operative um, dropped from fifth, dropped from debuting at fifth uh, last week to ten. The Curse uh, debuted at nine. Um, the Curse is about um, supernatural movie, a supernatural menace affecting a village in, I think, 19th century France. Um, and it's, it, uh, it's in a debut at number nine. Um, Scream went from six to eight. Sing 2 went from eight to seven. Um, Marry Me, the, you know, J-Lo rom-com dropped, of course. It dropped drastically from number two to number six. You know, that was going to be expected in just two weeks. So, yeah. Um, Jackass Forever also dropped, but it's been out for three weeks. It dropped from three to five. So it's not a biggest drop, a bigger drop as um, we expected. Death in an Owl went from debuting last week at number one to number four. Spider-Man No Way Home went up from four to three. Um, dog, um... Um, Channing Tatum's movie about a dog, uh, uh, Ranger and his dog debuted at number two. Did not expect it to debut at number two, to be honest. I thought at least, you know, somehow Death in the Nile or Jackass could still hold on to that spot for the week, for the week. Um, but of course, like I said, Uncharted is the number one for the week, um, total, with a total gross of the week of about 16, 60 million dollars. Um, and that's just um, domestic. Um, looking at inter- international for the weekend, um, yeah. So it's a it's a steady mix of movies. Whether it's you know Uncharted or Death in the Nile, and in some spots like Spider Man is playing in um in the Netherlands. Um, Death in the Nile is playing in China, Sing Two in Denmark, um, and Naked Truth in Vietnam. So it's kind of a more spread out. We look internationally. Um, Philippines to de- uh, West Side Story debuted uh, the um, three five five, uh, which is out on DVD now. Sadly, debuted in Ethiopia to a gross of thirty three dollars, but you know, it is what it is. I said it was the number one. Look, I don't know if that movie was good, but it's on DVD. So if you want to watch the movie, you can try it yourself. But um, but yeah, so it's it's internationally, it's kind of more uh, spread out at the moment. So yeah. Okay. That's it for box office. All right. So for news, um, the SAG Awards um, was last night. Um, we are going to speed through the winners of this. Mm-hmm. I think you should take either movie and I'll take TV and we'll just list the winners. <laughs> uh, so uh, Outside Importance by Cast and Emotional Picture, of course, went to the cast Dakota. I'm um, so thankful that they actually won. Uh, you know, is me and you are our favorite movie of the year right now. Um, outstanding female actor in a leading role, uh, Jessica Sandstein for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, Will Smith won for Outstanding Male Actor in a Leading Role. Um, mm-hmm. Adriana Du Bois won for Outstanding Performance of a Female Actor in a Supporting Role. Um, Troy Kochner, um won Outstanding Male Actor in a Supporting Role. First deaf actor to win on the yep. SAC Award. So, you know, um, Outstanding Stunt Ensemble went, of course, you know, died of the day. No time to die. Oh, not time to die. Oh yeah, no time to die. Not die. Not die. That's your James, Bond movie. It's a James, it's a Daniel James Bond movie, but yeah, no, no time to die. 
Okay, so for TV, the outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama went to succession, no surprise there. Outstanding performance by a male actor in a drama series went to Lee Jong-jae for Squid Game, which was cool. Um, the outstanding performance by a female actor in a drama series went to Jung Ho Young from Squid Game. Also cool. Uh, the outstanding performance by an ensemble cast in a comedy series went to Ted Lasso. No surprise there. Outstanding performance by a male actor went to Jason Sudeikis um, in the comedy series. Um, the female actor in the comedy series went to Jane Smart from Hacks. Um, the best performance by a male actor in a television movie or limited series went to Michael Keaton, dope sick, and he de de dedicated it to his nephew who had passed from drug addiction. So that was really mm -hmm. Outstanding performance by a female actor in a limited series went to Kate Winslet from Mayor of Easttown and the outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble in a comedy or drama series went to Squid Game. So people are like, oh, this is going to shake up the Oscars. I don't really know because there was a lot of Oscar nominated mo movies that were not on this list. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much it's going to shake it up, but. I mean, we we know that uh, Succession you know, is up there for the, the biggest TV award it's going to win. Um, of course, uh, Ted Lasso's this year's Shit's Creek. So anything comedy related is going to win. Um, the most eye-opening thing for me was probably Will Smith with reading for waiting for King Richard. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that propels him into the um the race come Oscar season. I mean, everybody was toting this is his movie, this is opportunity to win an Oscar. But I'm but these guys he's up against are they're also he, same group of actors up against for his mm -hmm. category come Oscar season. So I want to see how that momentum continues especially considering they're also all nominated and all the other award shows leading up to to that point so we'll see how it goes yeah we'll keep our eye on that one all right so what did we watch this week and i am watching nothing but marathon euphoria <laughs> euphoria honestly um yeah um so yeah that was me marathon euphoria yeah. for today um so yeah i watched the kingsman I think that's supposed to be like a prequel to. What's it's a name? prequel to the King, the Kingsman, the other two movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be the prequel. Yeah. That was awful. Um, oh wow. It was so boring. I couldn't believe an action movie could be that boring. Like I just couldn't believe that. It was not. It was not worth the a watch for me. I wasn't even entertained. It was just really boring and convoluted and bloated this movie is two hours and like 20 minutes or something like that i wish i could take it back i wish i can get those hours back but i cannot so don't recommend this at all um wow. it was so boring but yeah that's it <laughs> um yeah, so that's it for our episode this week. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, for this week. We hope you're taking care of yourselves and you're having a good week. Make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterboxd, check out our website. We have some really great stuff over there, some new blog posts about the Oscars and stuff. So check that out. Um, support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.